That's what I heard. And then Mike taught on Thursday night, and then he should be applauded too, by the way. I <laughs> don't want to leave anybody out, not in this culture. So, so um, yeah. So I, I don't know if you guys, I'm, I'm assuming that you are, uh, and without addressing any of the political things regarding Afghanistan, um, the, if you've been keeping up with what's happening to the Christian community in Afghanistan, the executions are getting out of control. And um, so we want to be praying for our brothers and sisters that are over there. I know the media gives its attention to what their interests are, uh, and, uh, but we have an interest in the kingdom and uh, the, the preaching of the gospel. And so let's just be praying for uh, them and how God would use all of this. We don't want their blood to be spilled in vain. And um, so be praying. Also, um, how many of you guys are familiar with uh, the Calvary Chapel magazine? There's none out there. I was going to like hold one up. So apparently somebody is stealing them. Um, some of you may not know, but the Calvary Chapel is an association of churches all over the planet. And we have a magazine that keeps track of different things that are going on around the country and the world uh, with Calvary Chapel. And uh, there's a lot of great articles in there. There's a lot that Calvary's doing. And so if you're interested, uh, take a look at the magazine. And if you love it, you know, maybe throw them some coins or something to keep them rolling. How many guys read it again? Only a few of you. Do you enjoy it? Yeah? Okay. All right. Well, um, I have various passages of Scripture for you this morning. Uh, so let's, let's pray now. Why don't you stand up and um, we'll pray. All right, Father, we love you. And um, Lord, I thank you for all of the work, the work of the ministry that's been done in Afghanistan. I thank you for those, those courageous believers that have reached out to the Taliban, to Al-Qaeda, to Muslims in general, Lord, that they've, they've risked their lives just by being there. And, and now they're paying the ultimate price, many of them. So I pray, Lord, that, um, that none of this would be in vain. Um, Lord, they, they haven't loved their lives to the death, which is a testimony to us. And, um, but Lord, I just want their witness, their light, to penetrate Islam and to be effective. And so, Lord, I pray that you would protect them, Lord, especially their children as they are being abducted and trafficked and um, coerced into unthinkable things. And so just watch after them. And, um, yeah. and I also pray, Lord, uh, which now seems uh, more um, trivial um, because of what's happening in Afghanistan or the things that are happening here. I just pray, Lord, that you would grant to us your grace and, um, and wisdom and that, Lord, more than ever, those that love you and your word would be unified and strengthened. And um, so, yeah, we trust you, Lord, and we praise you. Amen. All right, well, please be seated. Now, if you were on the uh, church email, uh, you know that I'd intended to teach a, something on the, a theology of the family. And that's going to become uh, more and more... Uh, um, in the ministry here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, but because of what happened when I got back on vacation, I, I want to address a couple other things. Uh, as we were coming out of vacation, we realized that we were in the twilight zone. Yeah. And uh, all of the new mandates and everything were coming out. And, uh, and then 
things just got crazy. Uh, mask mandates are required indoors tomorrow. And, uh, and then um, it, it came down from the governor's office that certain people in certain occupations will be essentially coerced to get the vaccine uh, or be terminated. And um, so, yeah. Uh, and it was stated that religious and uh, medical exemptions would be accepted by the state. And then, of course, at that word, um, I don't know how many times the phone rang and how many emails I got and text messages uh, for it. And uh, because a, a very large population in our church uh, could be forced into this whole thing. And uh, so uh, rather than um, giving my attention to a biblical theology of the family, uh, I've been uh, researching various documents and other sources regarding you know, medical and uh, political ethics, uh, religious exemptions, and of course, you can't touch any of those without a myriad of, of uh, conspiracy theories and strange things uh, to no end. And, uh, and I will say that, you know, when you get on the Internet, uh, there is so much unverifiable information out there, uh, including stuff from the various departments of health and the CDC, that it's nearly impossible to identify the truth. I don't know if there's an expertise out there now uh, that could actually narrow it all down for us. Uh, all this, the information is so convoluted. And as we know that words on a page, especially a web page, are just words uh, until those things can be tested. Uh, I hope that you realize that. Uh, these, these words have been tested. Uh, <laughs> and the scriptures tell us to test all things and hold fast to what is good. First uh, Thessalonians 5.21. So if things are untestable, um, we need to be very cautious, I think, to, um, to hold fast to it. I, I do not want to embrace a lie and then make a decision based upon it. And I certainly don't want to repeat a lie as if it were true and then influence any of your decisions. Now, I did hear that there was a rumor that I was telling everyone uh, to get the vaccine. Thank you for that. Uh, appreciate that. I didn't know that I had a prophet to represent my voice. Uh, yeah, looking at all that stuff, but then... You know, with even greater gravity and reverence, I want to interpret God's word and its appropriate application before I use it for any justification or objection. If we fail to rightly divide God's word before we you know, try to uh, navigate the current issue, we're going to make errors in our decision. But most of all, the problem with misinterpreting God's word and then giving it application, uh, we dishonor God. And... Um, in the last few days, as I've been reading documents from various scholars, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not impressed. Uh, what it is, is it's a desperate attempt to find something in Scripture to justify some course of action. And um, I hope that you guys understand that that is, it's unethical. It's, it's unchristian to do that. Um, people are giving Bible verses to support government coercion and public compliance, and others have their Bible verses to justify civil disobedience. And then guess what the two different groups are doing? They're attacking one another. And, um, and it's, it's pretty ugly. Um, in, in all of this, I think that people need to take a step back and be honest about what their real motive is for avoiding the vaccine. Uh, is it political? Uh, is it constitutional? Is it medical? Is it religious? Or is it a combination of a bunch of them? Now, if you have a religious objection... Uh, you need to be very careful that God himself is objecting to that in his word. 
Do you understand? If you're going to make that claim that it's religious, then you better have good textual evidence for that. Because if you're going to say that he objects to it when he does not, you are using his name in vain. I know that we typically think that to use God's name in vain means to use it as a cuss word. No, that's blasphemy. Using God's name in vain is saying that God is saying something that he is not saying, uh, that he's condemning something that he does not condemn. We, we have to approach speaking for God with great caution. Amen? Regardless of what it is, with great caution. Now, if we know that he's saying something, clearly, we can, we can get behind it with all authority. Amen? But if he's not, we need to be very cautious. Don't be flippant with the word. Something else that I think that is necessary to say, that there is no guarantee that the state or your place of employment will honor your religious reasons for refusing the vaccine. Some people are not giving this thought. The state is saying they will honor religious exemptions. But understand, they will ultimately be the entity that decides if your particular reasons qualify. I mean, they're not a qualified entity to qualify religious exemptions, but they're going to take that power into their own hands. Okay? And, and you need to understand, they want every single person vaccinated. So if you're going to ask for a religious exemption, you better brace yourself for rejection. And if you plan on abstaining from the vaccine no matter what, you better get your affairs in order now and make a plan for what you intend to do. Because if there is no intervention to stop the state, you're going to be without a job, right? You're going to be without a job. As I said earlier, there are a number of people in our fellowship, a number who will need to make a decision the next month or so that could greatly affect their lives. If it's your plan to abstain from the vaccine, and to risk your livelihood because of your convictions as a result of your understanding of Scripture, I will not treat you any differently. You understand? I, I, in fact, I'll get behind you. That's a decision for you to make as you pray and as you search the Scriptures. Okay? I have many friends who are refusing to get the vaccine, and I believe that their logic and their convictions are sound. Okay? Okay? Neither will I treat anyone else differently who gets the vaccine. One of my elders... And many other people in this church who have a great, that I have a great deal of respect for have received the vaccine. And from them, I have gotten some of the most noble reasons for getting it. We'll talk about those later at the end. And I would encourage most of all that in this fellowship that everyone be very respectful of other people's decisions. Okay? Unless you have a verse in the Bible that says, get the vaccine or do not get the vaccine. <laughs> Somewhere in... What is it, Isaac? Second Opinions, chapter 5? <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. uh, under the current distress of all that's going on locally, globally, there's one thing that the enemy would like to do right now. He would like to divide us. Okay? He would like to destroy our witness in the world. He would like to decrease the amount of gospel preaching in the world. And division is what would do that. So if we're going to divide and separate, ourself, uh, separate ourselves from other believers, it better be over essential doctrines of the Bible or issues of immorality that are clearly stated in the scriptures. Clearly. Okay? To accuse someone of wrongdoing when God does not make the same accusation, that is immoral. And I'm talking both ways, both ways on this issue. Both people, or people rather on both sides, I think are acting in a way that they believe is prudent. And, you know, there's a biblical um, teaching that says wisdom is known by our children. We're going to know in a couple years was right. We don't right now, but we're going to know. Just be patient and wait. 
I also want to point out something that I think many are not seeing. You know, whether we are for or against taking the vaccine, most are opposed to the state mandating and coercing its administration, right? Most people I know that have gotten the vaccine are very unhappy with the, the coerced mandate, okay? Because it's one thing for me to decide for myself what substances go into my body, but it's altogether different when the state forces someone. That, that kind of coercion is tyranny, no matter how you spin it. And if they succeed, the consequences for our culture will be grave. It will be. It will be. It's, it's an existential threat to personal liberty. Okay? Threatening people with their livelihood and incriminating those who refuse is immoral. Okay? But most importantly, it's a violation of God's governmental ordination. Okay? That is not God's purpose for government. It clearly violates the jurisdiction God has placed upon it. Now, in saying that, I, I want to be clear about something, because I don't know if you've read, I, I got invited to join a militia the other day, <laughs> because I was in combat arms. They are trying to rally former combat arm soldiers uh, who are loyal to the country, and uh, they want to form a resistance, and that's happening. I'm not joining, by the way. Uh, <laughs> And the reason is, is because the scriptures do not provide a clear course of action to the believer to take when they are subject to a government that violates God's ordained purpose of jurisdiction. It is silent in regard to what we should do. It's silent. When government violates God's ordained structure for it, the scriptures do not tell us exactly what to do in every situation. It tells us what God's purpose for government is. It tells us the the jurisdiction, the limitations, its reach, but it doesn't tell us how to respond to its violations. There are people who believe that it does, and it usually involves the sword. One apostle took a sword out. Now, I believe that I have a right to take a sword out under certain circumstances, but he was trying to actually deter the sovereign choice that God had made for his son. Isn't that true? Peter, what are you doing? But it was just after Jesus told Peter to take a sword with him. Now, it's, it's, the, it's the small sword, as we talked about. It's not the romphia, okay, which is a, a battle sword. It's a, the makari or whatever it's called. It's, it's more for self-defense. But it wasn't to deter the purposes of God. But that's the only time that it happened. We don't see the apostles taking up arms. We don't even see them protesting. And, and, and it may be okay to protest. Uh, as one has said, I'm against protesting. I just don't know how to tell anyone. <laughs> yeah. Some theologians have taught that you know, organized military resistance to the state uh, is biblical when the state violates what it does, uh, even though they struggle to get a prescription from Scripture to do that. Uh, people that hold this particular theology uh, hold to what's called theonomy or dominion theology. How many of you guys are familiar with the Scottish Covenanters? So they were under a tyrannical government, and so eventually they were pushed to the point where they, they just couldn't handle it anymore. And so they took up arms against their government. Anybody know what happened to the Covenanters? They were squashed. They were squashed. Um, how many of you guys are familiar with Francis Schaeffer? Yeah, did you know that Francis Schaeffer wanted to overthrow the government because evolution was being taught in the schools? He did. He did. Yeah, he, he was a dominion theologian. Uh, there's other examples in history, but what they lack is a, a clear biblical prescription, instruction uh, for doing what, what they believed. So just because a government disobeys God's will does not justify violent resistance. And that's not my real discussion today. 
I just thought I'd bring that up since I was invited. If you've been invited I, I, to a militia, I pray that you, you avoid that. Okay? I don't, the, the idea of bloodshed uh, here on our soil, Americans against Americans, with my children caught in the middle, that is a horrifying thought. Amen? I think there are much better Christian uh, approaches to all of this. Uh, that's preaching the gospel, being righteous. Anyway, there are instances in Scripture where we have great clarity in regard to civil disobedience. Great clarity. Uh, preaching the gospel when it's illegal. Sometimes I wonder what it's going to take to get Christians in the West to preach the gospel. I think it'll be making it illegal because it's not happening right now. Rescuing the innocent from the state, as we had with the midwives in Egypt. God rewarded them for it. Refusing to worship the idols required by the state, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, praying to Yahweh contrary to the state, as with Daniel. And then there's even evading uh, governments for personal safety. Running away sometimes is okay, but it's not always okay. Those are all forms of civil disobedience that God approves. Uh, I don't think that uh, justifiable civil disobedience is necessarily limited to these. But like I said, one thing you don't see is God telling the church to take up arms against its own government. Okay? Uh, there's evading, there's disobeying in certain contexts, but no examples of, uh, of um, violence. Now, in light of these matters, I want to address a few things that I, I hope will be helpful to everyone. Okay? So let's, let's do something completely novel, and uh, let's look at the scriptures. How's that? Um, you can turn to Matthew 22. I want to talk about uh, some categories of divine order and the implications they have for us. I'd like to talk about the preeminence of the gospel, uh, which is not the discussion I'm hearing uh, in all of this mess, and it should be primary. And then a little bit about the anticipation and benefits of persecution. Persecution is beneficial. According to almost every text in the New Testament, it's beneficial. So Matthew 22, verse 15 through 22. Matthew 22, 15 through 22. It's a great section of scripture. It says, then the Pharisees went, and that is again how they might entangle him, that is Jesus, in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, teacher, we know that you are true, and teach the way of God in truth, nor do you care about anyone. That is, that's an interesting way to say that. You don't care what anyone thinks. You do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, that is a very uh, well-couched question. Is it lawful? According to the law of Moses, is it lawful to pay taxes to a foreign government that is oppressing our nation? That's, they worked on that question. But, of course, Jesus is he's much quicker than they are. <laughs> But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Nothing like a public shaming. <laughs> Our key verse is verse 21, of course. And the questions that we have to answer from it are these. According to the scriptures, what belongs to Caesar, that is the state, and what belongs to God? So first, what belongs to the state? In the text, Jesus clearly taught, uh, to our own disdain, 
that taxes should be rendered to the state. I know it bugs me too. Okay. And Romans 13, 6 through 7, tell us why. We pay taxes, according to God's ordination, to finance the punishment of evil. That's what Romans 13 says. It's so that the government can tend to the punishment of evil and in order to reward those who do good, none of which is happening in the West anymore. But that's God's ordination. And of course, those who govern must live by their governance. So that's the purpose for taxes. Romans 13, 1 through 5 and 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17 also tell us that we should obey civil government, uh, which informs us of yet another thing that belongs to the state, our obedience or our submission. Now, our obedience, our submission, that, that is, of course, not without exceptions or limitations. We've discussed some of that already. By God's ordination, government is limited to the sphere that God has placed under it, and nothing more. Do we understand that? Government is limited by God. It's been given a sphere to govern, and nothing beyond it. I've heard many people over the last couple years, because of COVID, uh, say that, well, we have to obey the government. Mm -hmm. In absolutely everything? Mm -mm. Not according to the Bible. Okay? It's, it's limited. It's limited. It's limited in its sphere. There's boundaries to its jurisdiction, to its reach. But in spite of this, of course, government has a tendency to violate the boundaries set by God. Now, the thing is, in order to establish where the line is, where is the line? There's a lot of answers out there right now. How do we establish where the line resides with any real clarity? If we're going to do that, we have to first look at what Scripture says that belongs to God. Okay? And then we can start establishing a line. Taxes and our limited submission clearly belong to the state, but what is it that belongs to God? In Matthew 22, 20, when Jesus asked, whose image and inscription is this? He was establishing who the coin belonged to by virtue of the image and inscription on it. And therefore, because Caesar's image was on it, he was to be honored by giving him taxes, which answered the question posed by the Pharisees. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? But then Jesus commented on a far more important issue than honoring the state. Like the coin, we bear someone's image, right? Genesis 1.26, we bear someone's image, and therefore we belong to that person. And because we belong to that person, we should honor him with our lives, even our bodies. Paul said, For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. So God should be honored with what belongs to him, bears his image. Paul told the Romans, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So Jesus said, give to God what belongs to God. And according to scripture, that includes your body. Amen? Your body. And some of you are thinking that I'm making an argument for why you should not get the vaccine. And others might be thinking I'm presenting an argument for why you should. I am doing neither, whoever the gossiper is. The argument is this, your body belongs to God and is therefore under his jurisdiction and not the state's. And Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 7, 23, that because we were purchased, we should not be under the tyranny of any person or gods. Coercion by the state to get the vaccine is a violation of their jurisdiction. God has not granted that kind of power to any state. But it is your personal responsibility 
to glorify God with your body as you are directed by the scriptures, by the Holy Spirit, and using the wits that God has given you. And so if you believe that you are honoring God by receiving the vaccine, no one should condemn you or forbid you. No one. But if you do not believe that you can honor God by getting the vaccine, you should abstain. You should abstain. You should stand your ground and you should resist. I'll back both people in their decision. And that may irritate some of you. I'm in the category of Jesus. I don't care. Okay? We are personally responsible for doing the research, for studying the scriptures and seeking the Lord for a God-honoring decision about our bodies, which should be used to honor Him. The government is not in charge of what belongs to Him. Government experimentation was something the Germans did. It's not okay. Okay? Now, there's at least two other things that belong to God that lie outside of the state's jurisdiction. The family. Say amen. The family okay, and the church. The family, because the marriage and the family belong to God. The scriptures alone govern the family under the headship of the father. And where there is no father, the oversight goes to the mother. Uh, this is made abundantly clear in passages like Genesis 2.24, instituted way before human government. Okay? Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 4. So for this reason, the government should not interfere with family affairs unless something evil is being committed. Why did God ordain government? To punish evil, okay? And to uh, praise the good. But their job is not to meddle with the family. And there's the church. The church belongs to God. Uh, he purchased it with his blood, Acts 20, verse 28. It's his. It's his. And therefore, Scripture alone governs the church, its doctrine, and its practice. And it's practice. Not just what we believe, but what we do. Okay? What we do. The government is not permitted by God to interfere, interfere with the church's affairs. It, it, it may punish evildoers, but it should not interfere with what the church believes or what she does in accordance with the scriptures. Okay? This is why we disregarded the governor's mandate to close our doors. That's why we did. We chose to obey God rather than man. Okay? We have a directive from God to be in fellowship Hebrews 10, 20, 25, which supersedes anything the government mandates or forbids. Anything. anything. Now, of course, the government has the ability to punish us for civil disobedience, but it doesn't have the divine right. So again, as we've talked about before, by not closing our doors, it was illegal. But it wasn't immoral. We weren't disobeying God. There's a huge difference there. The state also has the ability to take our kids away and indoctrinate them. And they have the ability to hold us down and vaccinate us, don't they? Oh, they do. They do have that ability, okay? But might does not make right. It just equals tyranny. Now, in all of this lies that challenge. The scriptures do not prescribe a course of action for believers to take when they're subject to tyranny or coercion. We may flee to the next city or state or country if we are able, but that's not always what the scriptures teach. Sometimes we're called to stand our ground and be persecuted, other times we're permitted to flee. You know, the Lord needs to make that decision for each of you. I'm not going to make that decision for you. And, and I don't have a right. I don't have the authority to do that. But you need to be diligent in your study. You need to be diligent in your prayers. Whatever course of action you take, the truth is there's only so much you can do against a superior force. And listen, persecution may be the will of God right now in order to, to purify the church. I'm not predicting anything because it's already here. <laughs> it's just, it's creeping in on us. Okay. But we do have one particular course of action that is prescribed for us regardless of our circumstances. 
And we have that example from the apostles doing exactly as Jesus commanded, even when they suffered for it. And that was preaching the gospel, right? It was preaching the gospel. We're commissioned to preach the gospel, make disciples. The gospel is preeminent. So why have I included this in my talk? Because if the vaccine stands between you and the ministry of the gospel, why wouldn't you get the vaccine? I mean, Jesus wasn't deterred by persecution, abandonment, torture, and death to preach the gospel. He knew that he would face all of that in advance, and he didn't shy away from it. Paul knew that he was appointed for great suffering for the sake of the gospel, and he rushed into the fire. He did. On his final trip back to Jerusalem, everyone was trying to talk him out of going, but he would not be hindered, even though they pleaded with him. He said, you're breaking my heart. And he said to the disciples, the people that he loved, who all meant very well, he says, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Acts 20, verse 24. Paul put the ministry of the gospel over his own life. And when all was said and done, he gave his life for the gospel. He was beheaded in Rome. But notice how Paul says that he did not count his life dear to himself. And then he says, why? He says, in order that I might finish my race with joy. What he's saying is, if I count my life dear to myself, I'll rob myself of joy. But if I do not count my life dear to myself, joy is guaranteed to me. Isn't that what he's saying? It is what he's saying. Yeah. yeah. Joy wasn't found in holding his life dear to himself. Joy is found in giving greater value to the ministry of the gospel than his own life. The gospel was preeminent. Now, there are people in this church who serve in various ministries outside the church who have gotten the vaccine to ensure that they can continue preaching the gospel. How could a follower of Christ criticize that? Bring it. For Paul, it was like this. So in order to preach the gospel and make disciples for Christ, I will have to suffer greatly and eventually be killed? Where do I sign? When do I begin? Isn't that it? Jesus said, I'm going to show him how many things he must suffer for my sake. And Paul didn't bat an eye going into a pagan city to preach the gospel. And he suffered dearly for it. If Paul were alive today and it would be required to get the vaccine to fulfill the ministry that Christ called him to, I'll bet we can all imagine what he would do. Without hesitation. Yeah. Listen to what Paul said to the Philippians. He said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And I want to be conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Philippians 3, 10 through 11. He said, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9, 16. So listen. If God has called you to a certain ministry of the gospel for which you are unwilling to make sacrifices... I think you should rethink your position. And I don't just mean for the vaccine. If you're not willing to make sacrifices for the gospel, there's something wrong with your spirituality. There's a deficiency. We've been commanded to preach the gospel, to make disciples of all peoples. So make sure that when you consider the vaccine, that the ministry of the gospel is at the forefront of your decision. It may, it may not cost you something, but are you willing to have it cost you something? Are you willing? My concern is that some people are more passionate about avoiding the vaccine than they are for saving souls. This bothers me deeply. Yeah. They're driven by politics more than they are the gospel. They would never preach the gospel at risk of losing their job, which actually saves lives, but they're willing to quit their job or risk termination to avoid the vaccine. That's concerning. It's concerning to me as a pastor. So what about persecution, the prospects of it, suffering for Christ? 
You know, it might be time for the Western church to get its feet wet in this regard. It might be time. Um, it's been everybody else's time in the world, hasn't it? Africa, the Middle East, Europe, Russia, China, Southeast Asia. Maybe not Australia. It's happened in Canada. Who's left? Yeah, us. Maybe time to get our feet wet. We've really been untouched by it. Now, I don't desire persecution, um, but the secular cloud is encroaching upon the church at a rapid pace. Yeah. I'm no prophet, so I don't know when it will come or how it will come about, but it's coming. I think we need to start bracing ourselves for it. And one thing that we want to be careful about is being the cause of it for the wrong reasons. That, that is a big concern of my own right now. I don't want to self-fulfill prophecy. I don't want to create a self-inflicted wound. And, I, and something that's been on my heart lately is this. You know, the largest population in America that is wanting exemption from the vaccine is the evangelical community. It's true. Now, if we happen to secure that exemption, we will be the largest unvaccinated population in America. So who do you think they'll blame if there's another outbreak of the virus at that time? Hmm. What do you think will ensue? You know, in the first century of the church, there was a common saying among pagans every time there was a plague or a natural disaster. Anybody know what that was? Christians to the lions. Christians to the lions. Christians were to blame. Now, if we're going to be thrown to the lions as it were, would you like to be thrown to the lions for abstaining from the vaccine or because you wouldn't stop preaching the gospel? Death or great suffering would result, but for what? Refusing a vaccination or preaching the gospel of Christ to a dying world. Which one would honor Christ the most? Which has greater value? And again, I'm not telling anyone to abstain. I'm not telling anyone to get it. Okay? Uh, I'm actually not getting it for a number of reasons. <laughs> First, because I've had the virus, and natural immunity in, is hundreds of times better than synthetic inoculation. Everybody knows this. Just suddenly, COVID has changed that science. Like I said, it's hard to find any information that's solid out there. Uh, second, it's not keeping me from teaching the word or sharing the gospel at this point. Okay. Also, I'm still re researching the pros and the cons. Okay. And for now, I definitely will not let my kids get it. That's where I'm at. Okay. But if I'm to be persecuted, I want it to be for the gospel and for the cause of Christ. You guys, persecution has been appointed for the church, divinely appointed. But we're warned about improper causes. Listen to what Peter says. I gotta keep moving here. He says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing had happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. That's happy, by the way. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, that's the world, he is blasphemed. But on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in this matter. It seems like there's much to gain by persecution. Maybe that's why Paul was like, bring it on. Let's do this thing. Let's jump in the fire. That was 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16. But if you're going to be persecuted for the choices you make, be sure that God is glorified because of it and not some interest of your own. Be careful about that. If you are confident that God is glorified in your suffering, then Peter says, 
James says, all of them say, the apostles, that you should rejoice, you should be happy. Jesus says, blessed are you when you're persecuted. James 1.3 says that you should count it all joy. And almost every passage of scripture that talks about the persecutions appointed for us talk about all the benefits. God is glorified, number one. James talks about perseverance and patience, having its perfect work. Peter talks about being purified from sin. So we definitely shouldn't be afraid of it. Again, I don't want it to come, but if it comes, I don't want to be the cause of it, right? I don't. So church, I want to say this to us, and then we're going to pray and and get out of here. Let us show grace to one another, okay? Let us pray for wisdom for one another. Let us even support our brothers and sisters and the decisions they make in the next couple months. And let us be faithful to God and his word above all else, all right? I'm going to leave it at that for now. Uh, There may be much more to say in the future. And uh, the leadership here at Calvary Chapel, we will do our best to shepherd uh, the church through whatever comes our way. And who knows, a big lawsuit might go to the state and it'll all come to nothing. But maybe not. Why don't you stand up and we'll pray. I would much rather talk about family theology, by the way. Also, if um, anybody wants to talk further about um, any of the issues, if you're facing a tough decision and you just want somebody to pray with you, I would love to pray with you. Love to encourage you. Um, yeah, so let's pray. Well, Lord Jesus, we, we love you. And Lord, I don't know what's on the horizon for the church as a whole or for necessarily the individuals of our fellowship. But most importantly, Lord, you want us to trust you. You want us to obey you and honor you in all that we do and say. So I pray that you'd help us to be diligent students of the word, that we would come to you in prayer, seeking your face, and not some other worldly agenda, Lord, that we would sincerely seek your face, and Lord, that our decisions would be based upon those things. Grant us your spirit to see clearly, and Lord, just be glorified, I pray. Make us useful for your glory. And if you choose for us to face persecution, Lord, help us to to face it well and uh, to honor you through it all. Lord, I thank you for Calvary Chapel, and uh, I, I I love these people, Lord, and um, I just pray that you'd wash them, that you grant them your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Lord bless you guys.